It is nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT on 100.1 FM. It is your public radio station here in beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where it is fair and 41 degrees. Out at the airport, they are showing east winds to 7 miles per hour, 49% humidity, and 10 miles of visibility. Look for sunny skies today with a high near 40. We've already gone by it. West winds to 15, becoming light northwest in the afternoon. And they are presently from the east. For tonight, a chance of rain and snow between midnight and 3 a.m., followed by rain. Temperature rising to about 42 by 4 a.m. Northeast winds to 10, turning to the southeast to 20 after midnight and could gust as high as 30 tonight. Coming up, the local elections have become more clear. Supreme Court looks like it's going to weigh in on a federal law that gives preference to Native American families in adopting Native American children. And it looks like incumbent Governor Mike Dunleavy will be our next governor as well. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Dow has surged nearly 1,200 points in the final hour of trading in the wake of a new government report that reveals easing inflation. October's consumer price index rose 7.7 percent from a year earlier. It's a better showing than expected, still high. NPR's Scott Horsley looks at what that means for the average consumer. Some people are digging into their savings to cover expenses. Others are relying on credit cards. Uh, Credit card balances jumped about 13 percent in July, August, and September. And keep in mind, interest rates on those credit cards have been climbing in lockstep with the Federal Reserve's rate hikes as the central bank tries to tamp down demand and bring inflation under control. NPR's Scott Horsley. Victories in ballot measure campaigns across the U.S. have abortion rights advocates looking at where they can next take the fight directly to voters. NPR's Sarah McCammon reports abortion rights groups see the results from midterm elections as a promising sign for similar campaigns in the future. Abortion rights groups note that polling suggests most Americans are generally supportive of abortion rights, even as near-total bans have taken effect in about a dozen states. Kelly Hall of the Fairness Project, which advocates for progressive-leaning ballot measures, says her group is eyeing states such as Missouri and Ohio. When there is that huge gap where voters don't trust politicians, to act in their interest on a particular issue, there's a huge desire for them to take the issue directly to the ballot box. Groups opposed to abortion rights say they were outspent in places like Kentucky, where voters rejected a proposed amendment seen as unfriendly to abortion rights. Sarah McCammon, NPR News, Washington. Flooding from Tropical Storm Nicole is causing damage in Florida. NPR's Rebecca Hersher reports climate change made the rare November storm worse. Nicole came ashore as a Category 1 hurricane and quickly weakened to a tropical storm. But it still caused widespread flooding. 
coastal houses fell into the ocean near Daytona Beach, and ocean water poured into downtown Hollywood Beach. Climate change is partly to blame. Sea levels in the affected part of Florida have risen more than a foot in the last hundred years, and the area has seen rapid development and population rise, with lots of new buildings constructed right on the water. So storms don't need to be extreme to cause serious flood damage. Although hurricane season runs through November, hurricanes are relatively rare this late in the year. Scientists say warmer ocean water, also due to climate change, could make hurricane season longer. Rebecca Hersher, NPR News. Attendees at the UN's 27th Climate Change Conference in Egypt are discussing the connection between climate change and the frequency of extreme weather events. President Biden leaves tonight for COP27. He's also attending the G20 in Bali, where Biden's expected to meet personally with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. This is NPR News. NPR News is brought to you One in, in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Unofficial results show Republican House Speaker Louise Stutes holding on to her seat in the race for State House District 5, which represents all of Kodiak Island, Cordoba, and Seward. Stutes has more than 57% of the vote, with all precincts reporting. She had one challenger in the race, fellow Republican Benjamin Vincent, who is also from Kodiak. And State Senator Gary Stevens, another Republican from Kodiak, also looks poised for re-election in the state's race for Senate District C. The latest update from the Alaska's Division of Elections shows Stevens ahead of his two Republican challengers with 55% of the vote. All precincts are reporting in that race as well. Senate District C overlaps with House District 5, plus parts of the Kenai Peninsula, including Seldovia and Homer. The results for both races and election results across the state will be updated next week and finalized by the Division of Elections on November 23rd. The Supreme Court appears likely to leave in place most of a federal law that gives preference to Native American families in foster care and adoption proceedings of Native children. The justices heard more than three hours of arguments in a broad challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act which was enacted in 1978 to address concerns that Native children were being separated from their families and too frequently placed in non-Native homes. It has long been championed by tribal leaders as a means of preserving their families, traditions, and cultures. Incumbent President Mike Dunleavy is leading in Alaska's governor race, capturing just over 50% of first-place votes tallied so far. Analysts say whether or not he maintains his 50% lead, he's very likely to win a second term. Alaska Public Media's Kabitha George has more from election night. With more than 99% of precincts reporting by Wednesday afternoon, Dunleavy had 52% of first-choice votes for governor. Absentee and overseas ballots will be added to the tally over the coming days, but political consultant Jim Lotzfeld says the race is all but decided. Yeah, I think he's going to win on the first round. Lotzfeld helped run the Super PAC Alaskans for Lisa, supporting Lisa Murkowski's U.S. Senate re-election bid this cycle. 
If Dunleavy's share of the vote remains over 50% as more ballots are counted, he will win a second term as governor outright, with no need for ranked choice vote tabulations. Lotzfeld says with the vast majority of votes already counted, that's a likely outcome. So it's possible Dunleavy drops under 50, but at this point, it doesn't matter because either he's won outright or he's just on the cusp. And when we go to ranked choice voting, he will pick up the handful of votes he needs. On Tuesday night, Dunleavy's supporters seemed buoyed by initial results. At a party at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Anchorage, a cheer went up in the room when supporters saw the governor's initial lead. When a smiling Dunleavy later walked into the party, his supporters hollered and waved campaign signs. We couldn't have gotten here without you guys. And as I've told people before, we're the only red state left on the entire West Coast because of you people. In an interview Tuesday evening when about half of precincts were reporting, Dunleavy said he wasn't ready to declare victory. Well, not all the precincts are in, not all the, you know, not all the uh, votes are in, obviously. So we're going we're gonna to wait, but um, right now we're, we're feeling pretty good. We like where we're at. And um, again, we just hope that it holds so that uh, we, can, uh, we can get this over and we can get back to governing. As of Wednesday, Democrat Lascara follows Dunleavy with 23% of first-choice votes. Independent Bill Walker has about 20%, and Republican Charlie Pierce is trailing with less than 5%. At another party earlier in the night, Walker and his running mate Heidi Dragas said they left it all on the field. We, we did it all. We went everywhere. We talked to everyone. We did all the things you're supposed to do. And mostly we listened to Alaskans, so that was really the special part. Wednesday afternoon, Gara said he was proud of his race, but acknowledged the reality of the numbers. Well, you know, you, you always have to respect the views of the voters, um, and it looks like uh, Governor Dunleavy's been reelected. We have a far outside chance of uh, a lot of the outstanding ballots changing things. Garrett and Walker have been critical throughout the campaign of Dunleavy's record in office and his sparse appearances on the campaign trail. Dunleavy has said his job as governor limits his availability. Lotzfeld said he was surprised that Dunleavy, the first Republican governor in Alaska to win two consecutive terms since Governor Jay Hammond in 1978, cruised to victory without running much of a campaign. He didn't engage with his opponents. He didn't do many events. Uh, He actually avoided most campaign stuff, and it worked for him. He got reelected. Ivan Moore, who runs polling company Alaska Survey Research, said Dunleavy's limited appearances likely helped the incumbent. It's a thing that people do when they perceive that making campaign appearances is more likely to lose them votes than get them votes. You know, he had the votes to start with. It was Gara's and Walker's job to try and strip those votes off him and everything that they tried pretty much didn't work. In the almost 60 races for state legislature, several key races are too close to call. Republicans are likely to continue to have mathematical majorities in both chambers. In the House, Republicans lead in 21 of the 40 races. That makes it more likely for a partisan Republican majority to form, replacing the multipartisan coalition that has controlled it since 2017, according to the Alaska Beacon. In the Senate, moderate Republicans and Democrats appear likely to win several seats from more conservative Republican incumbents and challengers. With help from Jeremy Shea, I'm Kavitha George in Anchorage.
Over the last three weeks, three Juno homes have burned. Don Jager is Juno's fire marshal. He says the fires aren't connected and there isn't any evidence of crime, but there is a common thread using heaters and fireplaces for the first time with the onset of cold weather. It's been definitely busy around here as far as fires go. But he said that's typical for early winter. In late October, a duplex on Wood Duck Avenue in the Mendenhall Valley caught fire. That fire was traced to an electric space heater. In early November, separate fires destroyed two homes in the Sprucewood Mobile Home Park, also in the valley. One of those was attributed to a wood stove, and the other is still under investigation. Sometimes the systems aren't, um, haven't been inspected or you know, really up to par. Um, sometimes it's user, user error. Jager says it's important to make sure any heat source has at least three feet of clear space around it and is maintained regularly. Electric space heaters should be turned off when no one is in the room with them. Two fire stations in town offer wood stove chimney brushes that residents can borrow, but Jager also recommends that residents have professionals come to their homes and check out their heating elements. Finally, he says it's important to keep house numbers visible in case of emergencies, especially as snow starts to accumulate. The biggest town on Prince of Wales Island needs a bigger cemetery. In Craig, there are only a handful of graves left. City officials have been working to expand the site without disrupting the rest of the popular attractions on Cemetery Island. KRBD's Reagan Miller reports. There are five or six unclaimed graves left at the Craig Memorial Cemetery. So while we do have more space, um, a lot of them have been claimed and we have um, stopped allowing that system due to the lack of available space. That's Samantha Wilson, Craig City Planning Director. She says residents can't reserve graves anymore because of the lack of space. That's why the city decided to start expanding the cemetery. She says the expansion is a big project. It will likely unfold over the next 30 years, and the city is estimating spending up to $30,000 annually on improvements. That includes adding more graves and a place to store ashes known as a columbarium. It would expand the cemetery by at least 10,000 square feet, including more parking and at least 200 new grave sites. The project also would restore old stairs leading up to the hillside graves. Wilson says Cemetery Island means a lot to residents. Well, the cemetery area is pretty important for our community um, because it's not just used as grave space. It's also uh, part of a major recreation area, and it's right on the water. A well-loved trail winds through the cemetery, and there are ball fields, a playground, and a picnic area nearby. Wilson says residents want to see expansions to those areas, but not at the expense of the peaceful grave sites. I think a lot of it's what we had in mind from the get-go, um, because we don't want to eliminate current uses, but by definitely continuing to maintain the character of the cemetery while meeting future needs and um, continuing to meet current needs as well. Wilson says that the improvements to Cemetery Island will be spaced out over the decades that it takes to complete the project. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The Sitka Assembly is moving forward with a long-planned seaplane project, and while new estimates project the cost at more than double the original predictions, the Assembly is going for a fully realized project rather than a scaled-back option. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The existing seaplane base is more than 50 years old, and long-standing plans to replace the aging infrastructure are finally moving forward. 
And while the price tag is higher, the city plans to cover most of the construction and the land purchase with federal grant money. In September, Public Works Director Mike Harmon told the Assembly that the project could end up costing more than double their original estimates. At its last meeting, Harmon brought several options to the Assembly for consideration. A full-scale project totaling $38 million, or a scaled-back project with a $28 million price tag. With either option, the city would cover a 6% match, just over $2 million for the bigger project, or around $1.5 million for the scaled-back version, a difference of around $600,000. Several community members voiced support for the full build-out. Skylar Mace works for Insara, heading the Coho Enhancement Project on Deer Lake on the other side of Baranoff Island. He said float planes were crucial to their work. They fly year-round for the troll fleet and spend over $50,000 on aviation. And the access we have right now compared to other areas in Southeast is pretty poor. I guess I fully support a full plan for this as it directly affects my job and a lot of people in the community. And it would be a lot greater or it'd be a lot more problematic for how our project operates if we didn't have aircraft services. And assembly members lined up behind the full build out too. Member Kevin Mosher said $600,000 was a lot of money, but not when you were leveraging it for another $10 million. And he believed they shouldn't delay the project any longer. The federal government is spending a lot of money right now in infrastructure for this country. This isn't going to last forever. We don't know when we're going to get this kind of opportunity again. And I see this as building something that for the future that will last many years to come. Assembly member Rebecca Hemshute believed the smaller project would be less attractive overall for float plane operators. So if we do anything less than the full build, we run the risk of people not finding it um, enticing to use our facility and choosing instead to go somewhere else or choosing Yeah, not to fly here. So I think that's a really important factor. Ultimately, the assembly unanimously approved the full build-out. Afterwards, Baronautica owner Kevin Mulligan said he was both surprised and overjoyed that it finally passed. It's going to be a great opportunity for Sitka. We're going to go from having the worst seaplane facility in Southeast to the nicest one. Right now, Mulligan is the only float plane operator providing transportation services in Sitka. Yeah, there's times that I didn't even want to get in the plane and I'd go out flying and, you know, bring somebody to the hospital or somebody needs to go see their family if there's a death in the family or something or Thanksgiving's coming up and then this weather is just changes in minutes and to have other operators out there just for backup, it's just... It's just really important and it's really exciting. If approved on final reading, the $2.1 million in matching funds will be drawn from the city's general fund to purchase the land and move forward with the project. But Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said he hoped the city would create a separate enterprise fund for the seaplane base in the future. I want to make sure that the user fees are enough to cover the maintenance of the facility, um, especially with this one being directed at a, a pretty specific group. Um, while we will have people utilizing the, the freight services and the ferry services, um, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we can replace this facility in the future and then when stuff breaks that we're able to go down and fix it. The Assembly will consider the project funding on final reading at its next regular meeting on November 22nd. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing.
Award-winning memoirist Meg Stafford has an adventurous spirit, and this time she takes us along for the ride in her new book, Who Will Accompany You? When her daughters venture into terra incognita, one of them meditating in the Himalayas and the other providing unarmed accompaniment in the Colombian countryside, Stafford decides to go too. The perspective of each daughter is featured, providing a 360-degree view of their experiences. And in the process, she reflects on her own lifetime of wanderlust and what it means for a parent to love and to let go. We spoke with her about this heartwarming and emotional book. As a, as a therapist has informed my life in many ways and, and still does, and my passion for people and what makes people tick and how to really help people raise the volume on their own voice. It's a thread that is in my work as well as in my writing because uh, it, it feels like it's important in both places. Um, humor is important in both places. It's, and there were times when my daughters might get annoyed at me for for joking about something that they were being serious about. And so like that to learn to, to tone that back. That's award-winning memoirist Meg Stafford on her new book, Who Will Accompany You?, which is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Thursday. It is the 10th day of November, the year 2022. The sun rose today at 844. It will set again at 501. That will give us 8 hours and 18 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 21 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 8 degrees, set in 1975, and our record high was 53 degrees. That was set in 1993. Currently 41 degrees, fair skies. Easterly winds to 7 miles per hour at the airport right now with 49% humidity, 10 miles of visibility, and they are calling for sunny skies for the rest of the afternoon. West winds to 15, becoming light northwest this afternoon. For tonight, a chance of rain and snow between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m., then rain after that. Temperatures should rise to 42 degrees by 5 a.m. Light and variable winds will become southeast to 20 in the evening. Could gust as high as 30 tonight. Chance of precipitation is 80%, but no snow accumulation is expected. For tomorrow, rain before 4 p.m., then showers after 4 p.m. While it's raining, it could be heavy at times. High near 47, southeast winds to 35, decreasing to 15 to 25. Could gust as high as 50 tomorrow. Chance of precipitation is 100%. And we're looking between half to three quarters of an inch of rain possibly following on, falling on Veterans Day. Looking at our local tides, we have a low tide, high tide coming up at 2.20 this afternoon. That will be 9.8 feet here on the east side followed by a low tide at 9.07 p.m. of minus 7 tenths. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 2.52 this afternoon. 
that will be a 15.3 foot tide, followed by a low tide at 9.38 p.m. of minus 1.4 feet in Larson Bay. Mariners, be aware we have a gale warning for tonight and Friday from Marmite Island to Sitkanak. For today, west winds to 25 will come down to 15 this afternoon, seas to 11 feet. Tonight, south 20, becoming southeast 35 after midnight, seas to 9 feet. And for tomorrow, southeast 40, becoming south 25 in the afternoon, except north of Dangerous Cape, southeast 40, and seas to 15 feet. That sounds like a lot of fun. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, small craft advisory for tonight and Friday. For today, west winds to 20 knots in the morning, becoming variable 10, seas to 3 feet. For tonight, southeast 15 will turn to the east and come up to 30 knots after midnight, seas 3 feet building to 7 feet after midnight. And for tomorrow in the Shelikoff, east winds to 30 knots will become variable 15 late, seas to 9 feet. There will be a meeting of the Kodiak City Council tonight that happens at 7.30 p.m. and will be happening in the Kodiak Public Library. The meeting is open to the public, and public members are also encouraged to tune in right here at KMXT on 100.1 FM. It will be web-streamed as well, and that link as well as meeting packets are available on the City of Kodiak website. If you need more information, contact the clerk at 907-486-8636. Tomorrow, in honor of Veterans Day, the Aleutic Museum is offering free admission to veterans, active-duty military personnel, and their families from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Please stop by and see their exhibits, explore the children's corner, enjoy the art, and learn about Kodiak history at no charge, and they thank you for your service. For more information, contact the gallery manager at 844-425-8844. Also tomorrow, the uh, Kodiak Harvest Co-op is having a community movie night. That's going to be happening at 1420 Selig Street. Join them for a free showing of the Alaska Grown documentary. Renowned filmmaker and chief storyteller Amanda Bird will be joining them to talk about the importance of food security, sustainability, and investing in our local economy and farmers here in Alaska. Again, that's happening tomorrow at 6 p.m. at 1420 Selig, and they're having free popcorn and ice cream from Kodiak Goat Dairy. Also starting tomorrow, Boo by Pat Cook. Fairwind Players is presenting a spooky and funny collection of 13 short plays designed to tickle your funny bone and make your skin crawl. Everybody likes that. That's happening Friday and Saturday at 7 p.m. in the Gerald C. Wilson Auditorium's Drama Pod. Tickets are only $10 for adults and $5 for those 15 and under. Things happening at the library include the... Kodiak Reads. This year's offering is Seth Kantner's latest book, 1,000 Trails Home, Living with Caribou. Stop by the library and pick up a copy of this richly illustrated and interesting chronicle of Kantner's life among Alaska's caribou. Discussions will follow, and Seth Kantner himself will visit Kodiak December 12th, 10th through 12th. The Alaska Commission on Aging will be holding a listening session for Kodiak seniors, people 60 and older, and, and the public to find out what is working with senior services in Alaska and Kodiak and what is not, and then evaluating those responses into the state plan. 
The listening session is going to take place Tuesday, November 15th at 10 a.m. in the Kodiak Senior Center's multipurpose room. Alaska State Plan for Senior Services is completed every three years with public input and especially input from people 60 and older. The plan outlines demographic trends and comes up with a vision as well as guiding principles, goals and objectives, strategies and performance measures for improving and accessing senior services statewide. An important part of the state plan is the funding formula for different state grants and that's based on decided weight factors that you can weigh in on in one of these listening sessions. And again, that's taking place Tuesday, November 15th, starting at 10 a.m. in the Kodiak Senior Center's multipurpose room. A couple of storytelling events are coming up uh, November 18th and 19th, Friday and Saturday. Scuttlebutt is a galley tables event for youth. Scuttlebutt participants will share their personal stories at the Gerald C. Wilson Auditorium's, Auditorium's Drama Pod. And you can show your support and have a great time listening to our young storytellers spin a yarn and entertain a crowd. It's absolutely free, and it's coming up uh, a week from tomorrow, Friday, November 18th at 7 p.m. in the Drama Pod. And the very next day, Galley Tables is happening. Galley Tables is actually still looking for a few storytellers for their season opening event on November 19th. The theme is Home Again, and storytellers will have seven minutes to tell their story. If you would like to tell a story on the 19th, email them at galleytables at gmail.com or sign up at galleytables.com. That's G-A-L-L-E-Y tables. The Kodiak Hospital Auxiliary is having a general meeting on Saturday, November 19th. That's happening at 10 a.m. in the barometer room at Providence Kodiak Island Hospital. Everyone is welcome to attend. This short business meeting will be followed by the decorating of the angel trees. Please plan to attend and help decorate the angel trees throughout the hospital and support the raffle. Raffle tickets will be available, available for members to pick up. This is the last general Kodiak Hospital Auxiliary meeting until January. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 12.20, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.